0: Welcome to another Buffalo Bills Victory Monday edition of No Longer the Tim Graham Show. We finally got some graphic elements in uh, over the weekend. Uh, Let me introduce you now to what will be known as TGAF. What does that stand for, Tim? (laughs) Tim Graham and friends, people will add uh, whatever abbreviations they want, but uh, TGAF is now a thing. TGAF brought to you by more letters ctvk account like a business consultants in amherst uh um but yeah uh, we're here with uh, jonah bronstein and matthew fairburn the f's of tgaf and uh we're joined also by jerry sullivan uh, we're going to talk some bills in the no frills version the monday version of the tgaf podcast and uh A fascinating game yesterday, the type of game that you're used to seeing the Bills lose. I'll be honest, I think I'm finally being won over in that I expected the Bills to actually win the game yesterday. And when Josh Allen threw the fourth down incompletion, and the Bills were bailed out by the defensive pass interference call, I was a bit surprised because there's just something in me that's starting to be conditioned that these guys are going to pull it out, which is – And Jerry, I'll ask you, because you experienced it way more than any of us, and I was in Cleveland at the time, so I wasn't really living and dying with those 1990s Buffalo Bills. Um, I don't know that there's a comparison to be made. They went to four straight Super Bowls, but just that mood of, even when behind or facing some turbulence, that these Bills seemed to be able to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and they've done it the last two years. I mean, throughout the playoff game, of course, they've made comebacks. Like, I grew up a Red Sox fan, and I came to know there weren't curses. There was bad management, and they didn't have speed and pitching and defense, and that's why they lost these games. Well, the Bills never had the quarterback. All those years when they having these harrowing losses, sure, they had an occasional capable quarterback, but not someone who could lift them above their own misfortunes on the road. And it was common for them – for, to have a great defensive effort, and the offense didn't show up. Now, like a lot of teams, and I know I'm rambling here, but the, the teams with the great quarterbacks, they, they won games with average defenses. They're, in, they're now trending that way where you've got an offense that can lift you on a day when the defense doesn't play well. So I guess it's a long way of saying they weren't cursed, and there's a reason that Bills always expected the worst to happen because they had the fewest passing attempts in the league over an eight-year period.
0: And you know, it reminds me of some thoughts that I've had over the last couple of weeks when, and justifiably so, Bill's fans, especially uh, the last couple of generations, haven't been here before. They haven't experienced this. So to see Josh Allen play, not just competent, but above average, very good. Uh, but to say, well, he's MVP candidate, right? I mean, this guy's got to be the front runner for MVP. And then you take a look at the stats around the NFL and what Russell Wilson's doing, Lamar Jackson um you know but Patrick scoring Mahomes, as a coolest, whole is up everything is up and so finally the Bills Bills fans are seeing that there's they have somebody who's actually in the conversation it's not it's not they're not obsolete anymore they're actually caught up with the rest of the NFL the good NFL quarterbacks they've caught up and uh I think that that is just uh kind of just a reminder of how bad the quarterback play has been when people are going ape doo doo over three straight 300-yard games. Um, and, yes, there have been some historical aspects within Josh Allen's you know, stats, but he's finally catching up. Or the Bills, I should say, are finally catching up with really good teams and offenses and looking like you're supposed to look in today's
2: NFL. They're winning because of the quarterback, not in spite of the quarterback, which I think it's been a long time since that happened, and especially with this group. It was sort of like last year it was the Bills could be as good as Josh Allen lets them be, and now it's, he's bringing them along where they're struggling in other areas that were strengths of this team previously.
3: Well, and it finally feels like, and this is so refreshing, that we can actually compare Josh Allen to other quarterbacks in the NFL and not E.J. Manuel, J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards – it used to always be, oh, he's the first one since this to, to throw for 300 yards. Or oh, he's so much better than, than what they've had in the last 20 years. Like, who the hell cares about those guys? Like, you should be – I've long thought – it's the same thing with Sean McDermott. You, you compare him to all these, you know, Dick Duran and all these coaches that didn't do anything. Like, forget the last 20 years. Like, that was an abysmal stretch of football of really historic proportions start comparing your team, your quarterback, your coach, to the rest of the league, and now we can actually have those conversations. Like, Josh Allen, is he having a better season than Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson to this point? Or, you know, there's a a historical element to it, certainly, but it's also just refreshing to finally have the conversations about the rest of the league and not have people immediately reflexively jump to, well – take it easy he's better than anything we we've, we've had lately like no just start as Sully likes to say raise the bar and you know you know they're now at the the big boy table All right, uh, say and name. having conversations like that. now
1: you're comparing him to who jim kelly right the guy he was supposed to live up to you on a stat first bills quarterback since jim kelly to throw for 303 straight games only other one only quarterback since jim kelly did it in the super bowl years i think 91 to have 1,000 yards passing in three straight games. That's – wow. That's kind of what people were looking for, wasn't it? But yeah, let's his, not – as Matthew
0: Fairburn is. just said, let's not totally forget the past 20 years because there's something about the past 20 years that is in play, I'm sure with media coverage, or it should be at least a little bit, and definitely within fans' minds, is the Bills have been 3-0 and before. Where – you know, so – they they were four and one under Jaron, or whatever it was five and two they were four and one under Chan Gailey they were you know they've been they, there's also I think a reluctance and that's where we we we're saying now go ahead and and start having your imagination captured a little bit but should fans totally forget we're, how how much of a foot should we keep in the past when it comes to all right let's just just hang on a little bit here I would say. And actually, one more point, because I'm going to leave you to talk about this. Um, this is the no frills version of the Tim Graham show. I forgot to turn off the sprinkler. My backyard's now being flooded. I'm going to excuse myself, but you guys, please continue.
3: So maybe you can you can uh, correct me here, but I would say you almost don't have to compare or, or get worried that the other shoe's going to drop, right, because of what, what's happened to the Bills over the last 20 years. But I also would caution people to recognize the way that quarterback play is talked about and the way quarterback development happens in the NFL. Look, for the first few years of, of Josh Allen's career, it was about determining whether he was good, whether he was at a level where you would continue on with him as your quarterback. And that's a starting point when you have a young quarterback, that's the way the conversation goes. Then you get into this tier of like Jay Cutler, Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz a few years ago, where they've had the moment, they've had the breakout, they've had the stretch of play. And you have to have the, the ongoing conversation. Quarterback play is not linear. Uh, the, the progression does not automatically always go up. And I think when you think about it in that context, That's more where you would think, like, have a little bit of cautious optimism here. But I don't think you need to have cautious optimism because of Trent Edwards, per se.
1: You can throw for 4,700 yards and be 9-7. and Those guys, I I was thinking of Stafford when you started to talk about other things that can happen. And the defense is a concern. If it's average, they could still be good. But people want to believe that it's an elite defense. And now you have a quarterback who could be elite. Uh, that's where you have to kind of back up and say it's hard to sustain defense. And this is defense, there are some trouble signs and they faced one really good offense
3: and not look good. But yeah, Jerry, what... Not, it doesn't look like a good defense right now, that's for sure.
2: Jerry, what did you make of some of the plays in the fourth quarter from Josh Allen where it did look a little bit like the past, maybe that Houston playoff game where he's throwing the ball sideways, throwing it out of bounds, making some questionable decisions. He did come back and make the big plays at the end, but, you know, were you... Do you have any concerns about some of those mistakes creeping back into his game?
1: Yeah. I mean, I said they should have put out flashes and orange cones. It was like watching – driving by an accident on the highway. And, like, if not for an interference call, it was very questionable. We'd have make – having a different conversation today. He looked exactly like the guy that looked – was bizarro, according to some national observers during that Houston game.
0: And Matthew Fairburn I, was that national observer.
1: Is that, was that you that said bizarro? Well, I've been quoting He's you. He's the bizarro
0: Fitz. Yeah. I, quote him, I quote him a lot.
1: Uh, and it's, it's charming to say, well, we like that. I mean, we like that part of Josh. We'll, we'll take it. But you want to get that out of him. I mean, you can't just be wildly fl- laddering the ball like it's eighth grade football in those moments. And that's a little concerning that that's, that's not gone. And the quarterback standard has been raised in this league. I mean, some of the stuff Wilson's doing is like, whoa. And now it's great to have a guy who's uh, charting that way. But you still want the more polished, mature version of that. And maybe they were a couple of years away.
0: Aaron Rodgers, that's another name I should have mentioned earlier when I was saying, hey, let's, you know, let's hang on about Josh Allen for MVP. There are a lot of candidates out there. And also to be reminded, and, and it's kind of been a, a little bit of a talking point because people are incredulous to think back that uh, and over his career, Russell Wilson has never received a single MVP vote. So the standard that you need to play at uh, to be MVP is, is more than three or four games. Um, but, you know, you see a lot of stats about Josh Allen and, and Jonah brings up the point about the playoff game in Houston. Uh, you're seeing a lot of these stats. Uh, one was his last 13 games, what his uh, stats are last 13 full games. Um, that, that's regular season. What that does is conveniently remove that this asterisk second half performance against Houston. We did see reminders of that yesterday for a couple of series in the fourth quarter yesterday, Josh Allen was melting down. And while that is a criticism, here's a pray. Here's some praise because he found a way to get himself out of it. Like he unscrewed his brain. However, he was screwed into the turf thinking wise and complaining uh, about a horse collar tackle when he was still in the pocket, the ball is still live and he is bitching to the ref uh, about a penalty, and the ball still can be recovered. And you know, totally, you know, Cam Newton didn't he get crushed for something similar uh, years ago? Um, so, yeah, Josh Allen gets a penalty, sets up the Rams for a, a fairly easy go-ahead touchdown. But he found a way out of it, which he—it's amazing that he's able to do. He had—that's a trait that he—he he seems to have of being able to just bail himself out.
3: What do you guys think of, and I, I don't want people to misconstrue this as me saying this is why Josh Allen is having the success he's having, but I think a small part of it, particularly yesterday, um, with what you're talking about, Tim, the fact that he was able to, as things were completely unraveling on him, pull it together and, and control his emotions somehow, which he did not do in Houston, and then you look at the, the trend around the league with offenses being up, empty stadiums i wonder if there's any element of that that is calming josh allen down what was the the line we heard from him last year about how he would get too excited uh and, and get too amped up and you saw that and trying to make every play it seems like the lack of a crowd a would play in favor of the offenses and that seems to be the case around the league i don't know that aaron Rodgers goes into new orleans and does what he does last night if there's fans in the mm-hmm. superdome um but even at home for a guy like Josh Allen, not having that crazy home crowd can help you find that that calm or at least bring it back when it gets a little bit out of control. And I think that's that's helping him. And, and maybe it's something that as he realizes the way that he can control his emotions with no fans, you know, when fans get back in there, it'll be a skill he's developed maybe. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I think you can, it's easier to think and also communicate with the sideline and in the, in there's not as much of a din, and I, I think that can help. Of course, that, that makes it a little equally concerning that, that it happened to him in, in the first place. But I was thinking about this, joan earlier when we talked about scoring up, you know, where it's also up in the NBA playoffs. And I think it's the same – some of the same things are there, you know, no one's yelling defense unless it's phony. And I think it's easier to sustain scoring in the NBA right now. I don't know what you'd think, but certainly it's a factor in the NFL.
2: Well, I think that last pass interference call on the Rams was similar to a lot of the fouls we see in the NBA where, you know, if the offensive player is impeded in any way, it's a foul or or now I think it's defensive pass interference. And that's an overall, I I wouldn't say a problem, but something that I don't think is a good part of the game, even though it leads to increased scoring. One thing that was brought up with Joel Staniszewski
0: on Friday, if you didn't have a chance to see TGAF on, on Friday uh, or, or listen to it, go back and check it out because it was some betting analysis that you can use some thoughts and not just pertaining to week three games, but for until Las Vegas adjusts. And it has to do with backdoor covers. Uh, when you have teams playing prevent defense late in the game, like the Bills were doing against the Miami Dolphins, and there is no crowd to pressure the quarterback, to drown out the snap counts, to make them go to a silent count, it makes it that much easier for the offense to operate late in the game. When in the game, within the game confines, there's not there's there's nothing at stake, but on the betting slip, and uh, you're you're looking at covering, uh, and uh, so anyway, just another thing to think about because I think that is absolutely true that these uh, the crowd noise, the elimination of it. Is uh, is making it easier for these offenses to operate, but the quarterbacks still have to make the throws, and there are some amazing throws being made out there today. Josh Allen's right up there. Um, before we get to defense, and I hate to, you know, everybody wants to talk about the fun stuff and how entertaining the game was, and I get that, but the reason the finish was so entertaining is because the Bills came this close from having one of its not one of it was would have been the worst collapse in Bill's history and would have been the greatest comeback in Ram's history. Uh, But before we do that, I want to remind you that Shampo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants, business consultants, and uh, they have roots in Amherst. CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and the client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, and maybe soon we'll acquire Jerry Sullivan. We'll find a way. I'll maybe need to consult with CTBK on the best way to acquire this talent or perhaps merge with it. Uh, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or a request for a quote, call 716 630 2400. Once more, that's 716 630 2400. CTBK. Over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Um, I'm always good for a quote. You, you are. <laughs> I think. I think their quotes are a little different. Uh, it's <laughs> not like Daryl Tally. Hey, who? Let, while who is the greatest quote? If you had, if you were working on a story, uh, and this person could speak on any topic, somebody that you've interviewed in the past. So let's say, you know, you're obviously. Uh, but anyway, I won't, I won't cloud it. Uh, but if you're working on any, any given story and you needed one person and that person was going to be knowledgeable on the topic, who would it be that you went to for a quote? Gerald well, Talley would have to be up there.
1: Talley would be up there. Kent Hall would be up there. LaFontaine. But I'm, I'm, I know I'm probably forgetting somebody where it's like, Oh, you always get it from this, this guy, George He's Wilson, guy. George Wilson, the Senator was always good, but you wouldn't get like real controversial stuff. Um, actually the best person I've talked to in all of my retrospectives on the Bills was Kenny Davis. When it, it depends sometimes on what you're looking for him talking about the emotion of being a bill, being there on game day, the crowd, the weather, he was, he was the best, but I'll get off. And then I'll remember something uh, that I'd forgotten. But I wanted to talk about the defense and the fact that a really good coach stuck with the run yesterday, because that's our identity. But also I'm wondering, Matt, I'll give this to you that, it was a guy who seemed to think the bills can be run on that has watched some of their film last year and previous years on McDermott where they can get gashed up the middle. And if that's going to be a problem.
3: Yeah, it certainly looks like it's going to be a problem. I mean, they're, they're without star in the middle of that defense after he opted out. So that's one, um, you know, tangible thing you can point to that they're missing. They were without the linebackers in Miami, but both of them were back uh, yesterday and Tremaine Edmonds was sort of hemming and hawing after the game, you know, maybe he was banged up, maybe he wasn't quite himself, but I don't know, if you're on the field, um, you got to be judged accordingly. I mean, and I do think there's an element of Sean McVay being, you know, one of the sharpest offensive minds in the game. He's, um, you know, really good at scheming things up, making adjustments, and he frankly schooled Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier in the second half they didn't have any answer for what they were doing and uh, part of it was the running game but part of it was was Jared Goff finding you know they were picking on matchups they were picking on Taryn Johnson uh, they went after Levi Wallace a few times he did get an interception but uh, I think the defensive line in terms of you know run stopping has been uh, pretty underwhelming through three weeks and these linebackers, while Matt Milano played great yesterday, Tremaine Edmonds, I, I think, left something to be desired. And if he's not quite right, uh, or maybe there's just some regression happening across the board, you know, Jerry Hughes uh, hasn't been quite himself uh, through three weeks or, or not the usual uh, Jerry Hughes that we've seen. I don't know. I, there's, you talked about it, there's a lot uh, of challenges in sustaining high level defensive play. We knew this, we've talked about it people kind of brushed it off and thought this defense was immune to it. And clearly they're not through three weeks. They also weren't tested that often last year uh, or over the last few years by legitimate top flight offenses. And we're seeing what happens when, when they are, I guess.
1: Three quarterbacks they played last year rated in the top 22 in the league at the end of last year, just a number, but it's going to, it's a little tougher this year. I'd say, and it's going to get tougher.
3: Well, another number well, Bills fans will tell you that it's because they play against the Bills. That's why their ratings are so lousy. <laughs> That's yeah, true. One out of one out of sixteen games is what's really weighing you know, down like those the Denver
1: ratings. Denver quarterback, he, he was so memorable, whoever played for them last year and all those other backups.
0: Tim? I was just gonna say the number first off, Jerry, your radio hosting skills are still Sharp because you have been working everybody in here. You have been the Ernie D Gregorio of this <laughs> podcast so far. Uh, you, You've you given it. it to Jonah. You've given it to Matthew. You've noticed that I had something to say there. You're kicking it back to me. I think maybe you should be acquiring TGAF. You should call to go there. You should call Shampoo Travis, Bsaw, and Kirschner for a mer- for an acquisition of this show. Ernie D. What is that? Is that from a newspaper?
1: Is yeah, that- it's Buffalo Evening News. I'll tell a story here. One of our favorite people, Bob uh brought that. He lured me to to attend a benefit once, a golf benefit, which is so hard. But I actually paid, which is rare, and that was one of the prizes. To he wanted someone who would bid on that, and I was the only person to bid. And I was thrilled. Yes, Ernie Dees from my home state, Rhode Island. My favorite athlete of all time. Not my. What did you end
0: football. up paying for that.
1: Forty-five bucks, I think.
0: You know, I was going to talk to about a trade. quote.
1: I covered Charles Barkley in his early days in the NBA, so it's hard to beat Charles as a young guy. He would never not give it up. He was just the best. i call him in his hotel room sometime, and he'd talk to me. Calvin
2: Murphy, wow. you ever talked to him, Jerry?
1: I did, did. Calvin's a little nuts, but I think I interviewed him <laughs> once after, a like, a benefit game, old-timers game, and he played like like it was for, like, a million bucks. I mean, he played real hard. Yeah. And he, he was very proud that you know, Calvin, Calvin could talk.
0: So the, the stat that I was going to bring up regarding quarterback play, um, upcoming, the Bills have Las Vegas this week. Uh, in two weeks, it's uh, Tennessee in Nashville, and then uh, Kansas City at home. So teams that are 7-1 and one right now going into Kansas City's uh, game tonight, and have played in those eight games have scored at least 31 points five times. So one of those, I mean, everybody is scoring. So even the Las Vegas Raiders, you think, well, Derek Carr, come on, man. they they scored, I think 34 points in, in each of their first two games. Uh, the Titans have scored 30 points in back-to-back games and Kansas city's Kansas city. Uh, they actually are one of the teams that did not post a 30 point game and in, in, through one of their two so far. So Bill's defense does not have any easy outs coming up until uh, their junior varsity rematch with uh, the New York Jets at the Meadowlands in week seven. So very tough test. You know, we're, it's amazing how the conversation has shifted among us four and really everybody out there. Everybody's kind of feeling okay about Josh Allen, even though we're only three games into the season. And it's the defense, the supposed backbone of Sean McDermott's team, is uh, maybe going to make you kvetch a little bit uh, here over the over the course of the season.
1: Kvetch, good word. Josh has only run four times in each of the last two games. If I'm talking too much, well, this isn't my segment, right? You other two
0: are going to hang around. But, yeah, well, we have Joe Licata coming up, too. I guess I didn't oh, even tease someone that. Someone who, might, who really knows football. Joe might drop in on you before, before you take off, Jerry, but um, – I'm having fun. The uh, – you were going to say about running, I think it is lent almost directly to what the hell was Brian Dable thinking with these RPOs while up 21 points in the second quarter against the Jets on opening day and Josh Allen's two fumbles. I'm almost positive there's been a mandate out there of, all right, let's knock that off. because And the reason they can afford to do that is the offense is doing so well. Lee Smith, a healthy scratch through two games, one play, one touchdown. Tyler Croft goes into yesterday's game. Zero receptions through the first two games. Two touchdowns. Um, Zach Moss, they don't have him. Didn't seem to matter. Uh, Obviously, that Dawson Knox wasn't there. Didn't seem to matter. John Brown gets two targets on the first series. Isn't seen or heard from again because of a calf injury. They did it without him. They build this big lead without Stephon Diggs even being a factor in the offense until the third quarter. Um, You don't need Josh Allen to run if if you have all these – all these guys that Brian Dable has seemed to be really synced up with mentally. It's like a video game aspect. I see the play. I'm going to execute, you know, the play gets executed, move on to the next one.
2: It, it's just, it's, it's been incredible to watch. The running backs average five and a half yards per carry yesterday. It's kind of a wonder why they got away from that in the second half. I wanted to ask Matt, there was seemed to be some, some moves and some shuffling on the interior offensive line yesterday, you know, what do you make of that? I wasn't watching closely enough to see maybe why they made some of those changes, but how much is that related to maybe them not going to that ground game in the second half?
3: I feel like the, the offensive line changes are more uh, – are basically an indictment on Quentin Spain and the way that, that he's playing. And partly it feels like thinking ahead and planning ahead for the return of John Feliciano. Uh, I, they want to find a spot for him. In those, you know, five, uh, starting five up front, he's most comfortable at right guard. It seems that was his spot and working Cody Ford at left guard gives them a lot of options. Uh, If he can play left guard and Feliciano steps back in at right guard and you've got Darrell Williams playing as well as he is at right tackle, it's a pretty good spot to be in. And it's also not a bad spot to be in when Quentin Spain, who, you know, hadn't played great, but didn't allow a sack last year. That's the guy that's waiting to come in or Brian Winters, who played some right guard yesterday, is waiting to come in, or even Ty Seki, who actually had to come in because Deion Dawkins got hurt, uh, a guy who played half of your right tackle snaps uh, in 2019, is waiting to come in if one of your tackles goes down. It's kind of uncommon depth on the offensive line, and it allows them to do things like you're talking about, shuffle things up, create competition and put guys on notice say you know Quentin Spain might start on a lot of offensive lines around the league but if he's not playing that well they have the options to to move pieces around and try to get better play I'm not an expert in offensive line play there were a lot of free rushers yesterday I think sometimes Josh Allen makes the offense look worse the way he hangs on to the ball and tries to extend plays but I also think he makes them look a lot better sometimes by making those free rushers miss so I think the offensive line is still a work in progress, but they have the luxury of having way more pieces there than a lot of teams do.
1: Well, I am an expert on offensive line. No, I'm not. (laughs) Sorry. You mentioned uncommon depth. That's a big issue with this. Not an issue. That's a reality. And, wow, when you miss the playoffs 17 years in a row in this league, you're supposed to have cycles where you have depth because your top young players are in their first contracts. They're not playing, paying the quarterback, the star linebacker, the running back. And they have, the difference now is they have a good general manager. He understands talent. And they're not drafting like running backs in an era when the game is going to a passing game. So good job there. But they're supposed to have uncommon. Well, depth. they also,
3: a lot of what they've done on the offensive line has been through free agency. Uh, Deion Dawkins was a draft pick of Sean McDermott in 2017. Cody Ford was a second round pick. Uh, In 2019, Daryl Williams was a free agent signing this year. Mitch Morse, they broke the bank to bring him in. Quentin Spain was a free agent signing. Feliciano was a free agent signing. Brian Winters, um, who they brought in, they signed uh, when the Jets cut him this offseason. So I think Brandon Bean's also done a good job of, kind of to your point, like at some point the cycle is supposed to go that way. You have all these young players on cheap contracts. You have a quarterback on a cheap rookie contract identify what the problems are early in his development and do what you can to put the infrastructure in place so that he can develop properly. The offensive line was the focus in 2018. It continued to be a focus in 2019. Getting Stephon Diggs has completely changed his passing game. Same with John Brown and Cole Beasley. You can't make those additions. You cannot spend that much money in free agency if you haven't completely gutted your roster the way that they did. And drafted a lot of guys you know like you said they're going to have to extend guys they already started with Trey White and Deion Dawkins and so then your free agency spending is not going to be as aggressive you're going to have to get rid of some of the guys you brought in at some point that's where the drafting uh, and the the finding values is going to really be tested because it's easy to do it when you've got all the money in the world and a bunch of draft picks to bring in you know young guys on cheap deals so Brandon Beans uh, really aced the first part of his Uh, tenure as general manager but the the challenge in sustaining it is a different one entirely but the bills did
2: have the luxury of a lot of continuity on that offensive line and some of these shuffles with the guards disrupts that and you know I wonder what you're losing in terms of continuity if you're trying to you know find the perfect mix of guys mid-season
3: yeah it's probably why they're doing it Sean McDermott McDermott mentioned no preseason. Um, You know, these early games, they're able to, you know, they kind of have to move some pieces around to find the best ones. And yesterday was tough because, you know, Aaron Donald obviously had a great game. He seemed like he was in the backfield a lot, especially in the second half. But it's hard to judge, you know, Cody Ford and uh, Brian Winters on how they did against Aaron Donald, That not that many people do very well against him. So, the continuity aspect is is a, a fair point, but I think when you bring in Feliciano, you've got Feliciano and Morse having played together, Dawkins and Ford pretty familiar with each other. So it's still more than a lot of teams have, and you'd rather have. I've always thought you'd rather have the best five than the familiar five. You'd rather have the right coach, quarterback, coordinator combo than the one you had the year before, just for continuity's sake. So talent and ability and Depth is a lot more important than continuity.
4: Yeah, so, Jerry,
2: question.
0: you have the, the reputation of being the, you know, the, uh, the pessimist, the cynic. Uh, you've been writing some incredibly positive articles regarding the bills, which is not unusual. I think people view that as unusual. Anybody who actually follows your work knows that when things uh, are going well, it's reflected in your work. Uh, but a chance for you to speak in regard to that about these bills and yep. your, I guess, your general state of optimism regarding this season. Let's, let's just talk about 2020, because I think with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott in, in their roles, we generally view this as a team that's building in the right direction long term. But what about 2020? Where are you in terms of uh, half cup, half full, cup, half empty?
1: Well, the cup is filling up. I did say nine and seven. I picked them for 10 wins last year and because I thought it, their their cycle was was coming. Their schedule was, was pretty easy. And this year, I thought they might take a step back because I didn't think the defense would be as good. And I wasn't sure about Josh Allen, but after three weeks of historic play, I'm back. Uh, I would say I'm really optimistic about them. I see them as a Super Bowl contender in the same way that a lot of teams have been with really good offenses and average defenses Some day could even be better than that. Thanks by the way, on my, my reputation. I mean, I, I always thought that I might've had not enough of middle ground. Um, I was the guy who really was critical when things were bad. And I really tried to, I tried to capture the feeling of the fans when things were going well, I'd mention the fans a lot. And when I was, when things were going bad, I was telling them how they ought to feel. And it's kind of like with, with a teacher. You tell the teacher your kid's doing great and they love you. And then you tell them he's got a D and they think, well, no, it's, it's got to be, can't be his fault. So anyway, I think they're turning up their fun, but 17 years missing the playoffs. There was plenty to criticize. And it also for someone like me made me properly skeptical. I don't want to be the guy who's ahead of the curve after what I've seen. And, and I also would reflect a lot of how many times did I write this sentence? How much more can Bills fans take? And then they would blow a game like that Dallas game, but that's 15, 14 years ago. So it's kind of a new era and maybe it's time to be properly optimistic within reasons. And the fact that they have a modern offensive NFL team and and it's fun and they seem to have the franchise quarterback, let's let's go. You know, I, I ever tell people how how could you not be negative when the team misses the playoffs 17 years in a row, and they put 80 year old guys in to be general manager, and, and guys you know bring guys out of the back room and throw in a, a promotions guy like Russ Brandon. Oh really? What did you want me to do? All right, oh Joe, how you doing, man?
4: Big <laughs> Bills fan,
1: knows his football.
4: I'm doing I'm doing well. How you guys doing? How's timing? It's good. It's, uh, it's an interesting year. I mean, we're here five days a week, and we have to practice social distancing and do all that fun stuff, and it's been interesting.
0: For those who aren't watching uh, on right, YouTube, the Joe Licata from uh, Timon is uh, joining us, the former University of Buffalo quarterback who's now the coach at Timon and the athletics director. And uh, run some very uh, successful, and efficient quarterbacks camps here in Western New York. You got some announcements going
4: on there, Joe? Yeah, sorry. That might pop in every once in a while. This
0: is, we've said no frills. I had to excuse myself from the podcast to go turn off my sprinkler in the backyard because I forgot. Uh, So, you know, no sweat. Jerry's on. So you know that he has zero decorum. Uh, So don't worry about your announcements. (laughs) Hey, through through a quarterback's perspective, we've been talking about it here and Jerry just kind of teed it back up here with this offense, finally looking like it's caught up with the rest of the NFL and and what we've seen from Josh Allen. What's your take on, on, on him through three weeks? Um,
4: I'll be honest with you. I thought, I thought yesterday was his best game. Um, I thought he played well weeks one and two, but I, I didn't think he played as well as he could have. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I think, uh, I think he's doing a lot of great things. I think Dable is doing a great job scheming things up, doing an awesome job calling plays. Um, but I think uh, I, I caught the end of what Jerry was saying. I think Bill's fans should be optimistic, um, and rightfully so, because they are trending in the right direction. You see th- this next step that Josh Allen seems to be taking. You see the next step that Dable seems to be taking in his play calling and, and what he's doing and trusting Josh Allen. But um, I really do like what I see. I know that a lot of people are concerned about how much – um, they run him. Um, I'm not concerned with the amount of runs. I'm concerned with the finish of his runs. Um, that's part of who he is. That's part of his game. That's what, that's what makes him pretty special. And, you know, as a quarterback is his ability to run and extend plays and, and to have designed runs. Um, that's what makes all those misdirection and the bootleg stuff work is the amount he runs. So I think that that's an okay thing that they're doing with him. He just has to be more careful towards the end of his runs. And so what do you,
2: What do you think as a quarterback – you know, my analysis of the way Josh Allen played yesterday was that he maybe had 45 really good plays and five or six bad plays, especially towards the end. And how much balance do you need there? I mean, can you play a great game, but if you make a bonehead play at the end that loses your team the game, does that in any way nullify the the good plays that you've made before that?
4: Uh, I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of the nature of that position. Um, you know, you could throw for 500 yards, but throw a pick at the end of the game and everyone looks at you like you're you know, you're know, awful. Um, that's kind of the way it works. But is that fair? It, quarterback gets too much, too much credit when they win and too much blame when they lose. That's just kind of the way it is. Uh, is it fair? Probably not. But again, like I said, it's what, it's what you sign up for. I mean, but that's what you want. I mean, I, how much fun is watching a Tyrod Taylor ran offense? I mean, you know he's not going to throw three picks, but he's never going to win you a game either. Um, I mean, I I like what they're doing. I am okay with him taking risks and making and making some mistakes. I mean, that means he has that confidence to make those plays. I'd rather him do it, see that he can't do it, and then not make the play later on, as opposed to just not taking any risks, not taking any chances. I mean, he's thrown for 300 yards the past three weeks. I mean, that's that's pretty good. He's taking some risks, calculated risks.
0: Joe, you might be the perfect person to ask regarding this because how old are you? 25,
4: 26, 27. Let's oh, get. Man.
0: Getting away from me. So, but still, 27. What's your first memory of a Bills playoff game?
4: I remember vaguely the Flutie-Johnson – should Flutie play? Should Johnson play? Okay.
0: Well, right. So, perfect. So, you, you have endured your sweet spot of being raised in Western New York, huge football fan. Your sweet spot is constant disappointment. Yes. And we talked about it earlier in the show. And I think that a lot of Bill's fans and media, I think myself included, but it's getting conditioned out of me. My Pavlovian response to a hot start is, well, it's not going to last. Right. Where are you with that from what you've seen so far?
4: Well, I, like I said earlier, the, the words, they're cautiously optimistic. Um, because I, I do think they are real. I, I think that this offense is real. I think that the weapons that they have, are competitive with the entire league. Um, I mean, you could look at that wide receiver room, and you can make an argument that they're the best in the league. I don't know that they are or not, but you can make an argument that they are. Um, they're at least in that conversation. And with the way that the offensive play calling is gone, the schemes that they're putting in, the trust that they're putting with Allen, I mean, you, you should be fans should be optimistic. Now, I know there's irrational Bills fans that automatically, you know, first drive of the season they're saying Super Bowl. I get that, but um, you know, to the to the educated fan, they should be cautiously optimistic.
1: Well, right. Davis certainly uh, adds to the argument they could have the best
4: group if that's your number four the way he looked yesterday. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's a nice it, – and they move them around a lot. And I, it, the, way, the way that Dable schemes them up and gets them all involved, um, I mean, Diggs is definitely the alpha, but those other guys are pretty good.
0: Well, hell, based on statistics and what we saw yesterday, they might have the best uh, tight end group in the NFL
4: except throwing a a jump ball to Croft with, you know, that wasn't the best decision in the world. But again, that gets back to those points of, of taking risks. And you know what, if he's going to, if he's going to do that once or twice a game, but he's still going to throw for 300 yards, you got to live with it. I'm fine with it.
2: Does the quarterback take blame for an interception like that? That may not have even uh, really been an interception.
4: I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't know what he's being told in the meeting room. Um, you know, he might have been told, okay, this safety stops his feet for one split second. I don't care. Throw it. And, th- and that's what it looked like to me. He was throwing it no matter what. Um, so I don't know what he was told in the, in the meeting room. But, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best decision in the world. But you're right. It shouldn't have been a pick. But I do think if they would have called it a completion first, they wouldn't have overturned it the other way. So I just think that there wasn't enough evidence either way.
0: Well, it would have been offensive pass interference, right?
4: Right. It just uh, would have negated. They would have lost yardage, but yeah. it wouldn't have been
0: a turnover. I, yeah. It should not have been an interception. I, I, agree I,
4: I, I totally agree, but I can see why they didn't overturn it just because there wasn't enough
0: evidence. Yeah. Okay. Real quick, uh, I'm going to change topics here before we let everybody go because uh, we, uh, we have a lot of uh, big opinions on this next topic that I'm going to bring up. But I just once uh, more want to remind everybody that Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a leading accounting firm with a growing team of accountants business consultants, and whatever you need uh, for your business uh, endeavors. With Roots & Amherst, CTBK pairs every project with a focus on a human connection between its team and its client. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, CTBK is available and ready to solve any issue your business faces. For a consultation or a request for a quote, call 716-630-2400. Again, that's 716 716- CTBK over a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. Um, So the question was raised before we started recording. It got heated between Jerry Sullivan and Jonah Bronstein. I told them to shut up because they needed to save it for the show. Joe Licata as former co-host of this show uh, knows all about that. You got to save it for the show. Jerry Sullivan. No, wait, who asked the question? Jerry, did you ask Jonah the question? Go ahead. Just start to tee it up.
1: Who's the best basketball player of all time? And he said Jordan. And I said, yeah, really? Um, I've been – I've said LeBron for like three years now. Whenever he beat – almost single-handedly beat the 73-win team and made the block, I'm like, it's it's all over. Now he's 36, and he's putting up triple-doubles, and he's guarding big men and just like he did against Tony Parker in the day when they when they beat San Antonio, he's guarding point guards in the clutch. So I just think the whole package, to me, he's the guy, and I, I know it's a great argument. There are people that think Jabbar. Joe, what do you well, think? Okay, go ahead. you're supposed to reply to
2: that defensive thing.
0: We all know no, I, what Joe I think. I'll be surprised yeah, Joe, if Joe has a different answer.
2: Well, I want to say to Jerry, if Jerry <laughs> wanted to make an argument for Kareem Abdul Jabbar or Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, uh, I would listen to it because I think a lot of those players get underrated in these discussions. I don't think it's a two-person race here. But I just, I mean, haven't seen both of these players' full careers. LeBron James is great and maybe he is the second greatest player of all time. But, you know, Michael Jordan beat the Utah Jazz by himself practically when he was 35 years old. LeBron's the same age. LeBron's great. But what we saw the other night closing out Denver with his jump shot and just being – they were not going to lose that game because of the way he played. I don't think he is able to do that reliably enough in the fourth quarters the way Michael Jordan and other great players have done and sometimes has to defer to his teammates because either his jump shot's not going in or he's afraid to go to the foul line. And he's a tremendous all-around player, maybe the best multi-skilled player ever, but the most important skill in basketball is putting the ball in the hole especially in the fourth quarter when the, everybody knows you're the one taking the shot. Then I and guess I Kareem think...
0: is the greatest basketball player of all time.
2: Right, but I mean reliably making that shot in the last second on the last possessions, and Michael Jordan is clearly, I think, above everybody else. Maybe Larry Bird. I, I would argue that Larry Bird in that situation might be the greatest player of the all scoring time.
1: Scoring average and field goal percentage in playoffs is right there with Jordan. So what, is, what does he need to do? It's, and guess what? six I points what lower. Jordan six making points a jump lower, but... shot at 35 a lot of the big shots in the bulls run were made by little guys because he gave up the ball and and that's great but there was a very similar thing with lebron every shooter who played with lebron became a great clutch shooter cuz cuz why they were they were hitting open jump shots all the time so i should shut up here but i love this
4: conversation i, no, I mean, it, it is that a great it is a great conversation and there is a lot of opinion based on this but you know, the, the the facts of it are Jordan's the best player of that era. LeBron's the best player of this era. Who would you take? I, I would take Jordan. I agree with Jonas' points on his ability to score his playoff performances, which Jerry, to your point, he absolutely single-handedly beat arguably the greatest team ever and had great performances in the, in the, uh, in the finals the year before when they did lose it. Um, but I think there is some type of recency bias of just, you know, you see LeBron right now, right this second. Um, I would like to see what he would do in that era. And I would love to see if Jordan was brought up in this era, how much better of a player he would be. I I, I think Jordan scores 40 a game in this era.
0: Joe, we've had you on and, and we, we've we talked about, first off, you were referenced last week's show uh, because uh, Shampo Travis Bissaw and Kirshner's uh, Twitter handle is at ctbk 45 So Jonah just said, what's the greatest 45 of all time now? I came up with Bob Gibson, Matthew Fairburn had uh, Pedro Martinez. And I said, I know Joe Licata, even though, you know, he's going to say Jordan is the greatest 45 of all time. So I we know where your Bur- heart is.
4: We I have a Birmingham Barons jersey, thanks to you. That is, Jordan 45. Yeah, that's, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh,
0: But I wanted to ask you about the documentary. Yeah. Uh, what did your opinion on Jordan change at all, especially as you're a little older he really did come off in many ways. I mean, obviously, the, the, the athlete part of it was one thing. Right. But he really did come off like an a-hole right. like so many times. So I, I've, I've been curious, and I haven't had a chance to ask you, has your opinion on him moved at all?
4: No. Um, I, lo- I love all those stories. Like I love the competitive drive stories. That, that's stuff that I, from a competitive standpoint, and from being in a locker room with guys, like that's the stuff I miss the most. Uh, from not playing anymore. Um, and that's the stuff that I've always respected about Jordan is, are those stories. So, you know, the, the punching Steve Kerr in the face story. I, I love that stuff. Um, he, he was kind of a jerk. And I, Jerry, I don't know if it was you that tweeted something. Um, he was the best player. He didn't have to be a jerk, and he still would have been the best player.
1: I didn't tweak that, but it's nice to have editorial control. Imagine what a jerky would look like if it was a completely objective and independent uh, documentary instead of one that Michael, you know. That's true. Let's not put some of the real bad stuff in there. Let's, let's just not even discuss how much better a surrounding cast Jordan had at the end than, he, of
4: than any of LeBron's teams. And I'm including LeBron. Anthony Davis because I think he's a little overrated. I think Anthony Davis might be the, the best player on the Lakers right now. Um, but, but you're right. It was a fluff piece, but almost every documentary is um, when they're showcasing certain people. That's what they want to do. Um, but I thought it was I mean, I thought it was extremely well done. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great for the kids of this era to see what competition is and what a competitive drive really should look like. Not necessarily should look like, but what a great one does look like. Um, so I thought it was great um but you're i mean you're right i'm totally biased i love mj i mean it could have been it could have been awful and i would have said it was great it was also sure. during the pandemic
1: which made it great they moved it up every episode i was looking forward to like looking forward to a game you know it was, right. that was great
0: the no, reaction was, uh, on social media was it, it was the greatest piece of visual art ever produced you know citizen kane no longer existed
4: i thought that was great um I'm very excited to see you know, in 10, 15 years what the, uh, the bubble documentary is going to look like, too, because you, you know they have cameras everywhere in there. There's going to be some incredible stories about that, too. I don't, I, the, going back to the documentary, though, I was a little mad they didn't expand on the, on the Rodman uh, just leaving story.
0: You know what wasn't even mentioned in, with Rodman, and I covered it because I was waiting to see how they were going to cover it. When Phil Jackson, during that Utah Jazz final, let him leave the team to go to Vegas during the final. And I thought that that would have been a really fascinating thing to look at as to how a coach can allow a guy. But that is how they had to manage Rodman. If they didn't let him do those things, there was a chance he could implode the team. Right. Uh, and mean, maybe he, as a coach. Because it wasn't enough about Jordan. But, yeah, I, I was, they, they totally skipped over that.
4: Right. And it's interesting, though, from a coaching perspective, everybody thinks that you should treat everybody equally. You, you can't. Successful coaches don't do that you talk to different players in different ways and his relationship with Jordan, I thought was awesome um, because he was so, you know, sensei, very easygoing Phil Jackson. And then Jordan was kind of the enforcer on the leadership side of it. So I thought that that they they played off of each other very well, which is very similar to why, you know, Phil Jackson and Kobe worked too, because Kobe was that same kind of um, alpha personality who was kind of a hard ass in that scenario. And, same with MJ. So I thought that those personalities worked perfectly together.
0: Well, guys, I have to wrap it up here. Um, we have a hard out today. Uh, and um, you, normally, we don't have to worry about this. But uh, um, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed it, please uh, subscribe to the uh, TGAF YouTube channel. Uh, also, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify now too. That's an update. Uh, and we'll be getting on any other platform that you want us to get on. If you have a suggestion, uh, you want us to, uh, have our podcast posted there. Uh, let Only us fan. know however you digest your content. What's that Jonah?
2: Only fans. You ever been on that website, Tim?
0: <laughs> no. Do want- Oh, I, 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 I know what that is. I'll get on there. Uh, you know, uh, maybe, you know, Hey, uh, I know Bella Thorne uh, had some interesting things uh, going on there. Uh, anyway, Jerry, you don't know this stuff. But um, I want to thank everybody for coming on. This has been a great TGAF, Tim Graham and Friends. I'm on here with four of my friends. Great, a lot of friends. great times. We have uh, and three, three co-hosts. Jerry was practically a co-host. He was on the show every week back when uh, it was a Buffalo News Enterprise. Uh, so yeah, this is a good, this is like a little mini reunion. Thanks for joining me guys. Uh, this has been the, this has been TGAF brought to you by CTVK. My thanks to Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Jerry Sullivan, and Joe Licata. Thanks guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.